What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Hey friend, support this podcast by leaving a five-star rating and review in Apple iTunes. And you can also do that now in Spotify and leave five stars for Infertility and Me podcast. This will just help increase our show's ranking and reach so that we can continue to reach more people and more friends who may be silently suffering with infertility too. Now, let's get into the episode. Welcome to Infertility and Me podcast a show that amplifies diverse stories about the struggles of infertility and fertility in a safe space. Our goal is to normalize fertility stories that validate, give hope, and create a community where no one is left silently suffering. Welcome, welcome back, friends, to another episode of Infertility and Me podcast. Appreciate you for being here. If this is your first time, my name is Monique. I am an IVF mom to one serial entrepreneur, and as you can tell, a digital creator and women's health advocate. So I appreciate you, friends, for tuning in to another episode. And today we have Dr. Kay Duga from Instagram. It's where I know her. She is a board certified naturopathic physician. And she's been in the industry for over 15 years, beginning as a nurse, if I'm correct, Dr. Duga. Is that right? Yes. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I appreciate you, Dr. Duga, for being here and speaking to us today and just sharing space with us. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy mm-hmm. to be here. I've been following your work for a little while in the background and um I knew there would be a time where we would come together and collaborate because I think any woman who is a advocate for Black women's health like I am is just bound to come together and have a conversation. So I'm really excited about yes, the conversation absolutely. today. absolutely. It's, it's my pleasure to host you and to have you. And I'm sure our friends listening or watching on the Tizub will be appreciative too um, of our conversation today. Um Let's see, where should, where should we even start? So you got into naturopathic medicine after becoming a nurse. Was it because of your own um, experience with fertility problems or issues at some point? No, it was actually unrelated to fertility. I didn't even um, know I was going to end up here, to be honest. Um, So I became a nurse uh, back in 2007. But when I was growing up, I was always, you know, pushed to become a doctor. And I actually uh, started um, my path towards becoming a doctor when I was in high school. I um, was in the medical magnet program in high school and I would go to the hospitals and kind of learn about the different um, specialties within medicine. Right. And um, the more and more I did that, the more and more I became passionate about helping people be Mm -hmm. healthy. You know what I'm saying? And so um, 
and so when I went to college, I went to University of Miami pre-medicine program. I major was ner- uh, my major was chemistry because okay. I was in a pre-med track. And then, um, and then somewhere along the way, um, something happened with my family and I decided to kind of switch gears and get into a career mm-hmm. where I can make some money right <laughs> after graduation, to just be honest, right? And so I switched to nursing. And then the plan was to to do nursing for um, a year max, too, and then go back into my, my pre-med track. Girl, I was working in the ER at the largest teaching mm. hospital in South Florida. Um, it's called okay. Jackson Memorial Hospital. And, yeah, because I have an uncle okay, who went so you to know school about um, at FAMU, and he never came back up north. He stayed there. And so he's told me about all the various areas oh, I've okay. over the years been out there a lot of times. So, yeah, I have heard of that facility, yes, in that, um, that hospital, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Jackson is, like, in the smack of downtown, overtown, which is, like, mm-hmm. the hood of Miami, right? And so it's a large teaching hospital, it's a hospital that that serves mainly the underserved, right? And so I was serving the underserved, meaning poor black people. And I did not like mm-hmm. the medical system. I was like, this is this doesn't vibe with me. And and the reason why I say that is because I was noticing that there were so many gaps. One gap was um if people wanted to get off blood pressure medication or d- diabetic medication. There was no guidance on how to do that. There was no guidance on how to get healthier, how to optimize health. That There was just no conversation around that. It was very disease focused. And growing mm-hmm. up, I was always about health. And here I was, and it was all about disease. And I'm like, how do we mm-hmm. help people get you know healthier? And so throughout the years, I, was, I would have conversations with my patients. You know, as a nurse, you are an advocate for your patient, right? And so my patients would feel very open to have these conversations with me that they weren't really open about having with their doctors, right? Because doctors would be in and out and that was it. And I would be the one, you know, providing the actual care. And so they would be like, how do I get off this blood pressure medication? Uh, How do I lose this weight? How do I, how do I, how do I? And then I would start to educate them. And I would notice that the ones that I took the time to educate Mm -hmm. had better health outcomes, right? And so... Long story short, I decided to leave. I decided, all right, I want to go a different route. I want to go down a route where it's about mm-hmm. health promotion. It's about lifestyle. It's about fitness. It's about mm-hmm. thriving. And so I made the shift and I left the medical yeah. world, mm-hmm. the conventional medical world, and went to um, naturopathic medical school in 2012. Gotcha. And then after I graduated um, naturopathic medical school, I've since become one of the very few medically trained and naturally focused specialists. And in the first year of my of practice, I was seeing general things. And then I was like, I want to specialize. And then at, the, at that time, I had a really close girlfriend of mine mm. who was dealing with infertility. She had decided that she was going to um, go the okay. single mom by choice mm-hmm, mm-hmm. IUI IVF route because she was ready to have a baby and she didn't have a partner and I just saw how depressed she was mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. I just saw what it did to her and this is like my close girlfriend I'm getting chills just talking mm-hmm. about it because I haven't really talked about it just seeing what she was going through and mm-hmm. me not being able to help her 
right? Growing up, I've always been that girl that my girlfriends would call when mm-hmm. there was a health crisis, always. And this was a situation mm-hmm. where I could not help her, right? And at that same time, I was like, I need to specialize in something. And so that coupled with the fact that I was getting older and I was becoming curious about what it was going to be like for me mm-hmm. when I did decide to have children. Were my children going to be healthy? Was I going to have difficulty getting pregnant? You know, all of these thoughts were sorting through my mind around this time. So I was like, all right, if I'm looking to specialize, let me look into fertility. Let me do yeah. some research, some market research. It's a lot. It's a lot. Girl, what I found. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's a shit show for sure. <laughs> I remember emailing my um mm-hmm. my mentor. I was like, there's so much here. Oh my God, there's so much here. And the very first piece that I had to tease out was this mm. term infertility. It got to me because I didn't understand why women who had who had, had children before naturally with no problem going for their second one were being labeled as infertile. Like I just didn't get it. I was like, wait, how does a woman who already have kids like have this infertility label on her. Like I just didn't understand. That unexplained right? infertility and secondary and then, infertility, um, especially secondary. It's very, very yeah, then I tricky, got tricky waters, um, real tricky waters. Right. Right. And so here I am, you know, I have a full on medical degree and I was confused. Right. And I was like, I can't imagine how confused the women who are going through are. Right. And so, Fast forward. So this is the beginning of my, you know, tiptoeing into the fertility world. I start producing content around fertility and a friend of mine who um, used to work with me when I was an ER nurse reached out to me. She said, hey, I love the content that you're sharing about fertility. Um, I just started a show. Would you mind coming on um, and being part of the show? But here's what I want you to talk about. She's like, my girlfriends and I have been talking and Mm. her and her girlfriends don't have any children. She said, my girlfriends and I have been talking and we, the conversation always comes back to this. Am I going to die when I give Mm, birth? mm, mm, mm. That's chills right there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Am I going to die? The fear of dying is is very real for them. And she said, would you mind coming onto the show and talking about um, black maternal mortality rates? I paused because it's a very heavy topic. And at that time, I was like, I don't know how to bring heavy topics like that to the forefront without bringing the whole energy down. And also without providing a solution. I don't like talking about um, dire statistics without proposing a solution. Because what are yeah, you leaving yeah. people with, right? And so I was like, I don't know. I don't know why I said yes. I said yes, right? So I started doing research for this, com- for this conversation. In the conversation, what started to come up for me was the fact that I would, when I was sitting through nursing lectures, when I was sitting through uh, my medical lectures, there would always be that one lecture where they would talk about black women are three to four times more likely to have this disease more than white women. I mean, you name the disease and we were three to four times more likely to have it. And they would just sort of move on past the stat like it was nothing. And when they told, when they stated that women, black women were three or four times more likely to die giving birth and just move past it with no explanation as to what was going on, 
I said, wait, wait, wait. I was like, you know, in that Kevin Hart voice. Yes, wait, wait yes. a minute, wait, wait, wait a minute. You're not gonna just speed past that, yes, like you didn't just right. say what you just said, right? But they would just speed past it, right? And so when I was preparing for this conversation with her, for this interview with her, I said, I'm gonna get to the bottom of this. I'm gonna figure out what's going on. I came across the work of Dr. Jenny Douglas, who um whose lecture started off with this quote: Black don't crack is a myth, it does crack, and it's cracking. And she talked about the concept of weathering. Have you heard of the concept no, of weathering no. before? Okay. Weathering is a phenomenon that was coined by this um, white woman. Her name is Dr. Arlene Geronimus. I may be pronouncing, mispronouncing her last name, but she's a, a researcher out of Harvard. I came across this lady's article and this lady is talking about her research in uh, racial health disparities, how she would, um, she started following these black teenage girls um, just to figure, to understand why black girls and also black women had greater uh, health issues um, in comparison to the counterparts, right? And basically what she termed was this term weathering is when racial stress, the everyday racism, microaggressions that we have to deal with as a black woman has a physiological effect on our health to the point where they are finding that we are hmm. aging earlier, right? And so this, in black culture, we have this uh, uh, saying that black don't crack, right? Because, you know, we could, we mm -hmm. could be 50, but look 40. Right. But here I was deep into the research that was saying that actually the opposite is true, that there is a phenomenon that's causing black women to actually age earlier. Now, what does that mean in terms of reproductive health and infertility and fertility? What that means is that our biological clocks as a collective is mm. accelerated. So a woman, a black woman could be 30 years old mm -hmm. chronologically but 35 years old mm. biologically. Mm. Mm. See what I'm saying? I'm going to say that again. We could be 30 years old biologically, but 35 years old reproductively, right? And so when I saw that, I said, this makes sense because I kept getting black women who were coming to me and who were saying, I don't even qualify for IVF because my AMH is too low. Now, I know mm -hmm. you know these mm -hmm. terms. We can get down to the nigger. My AMH is too low. I don't even qualify. Right. They're saying I have mm -hmm. premature mm -hmm. ovarian insufficiency or premature mm -hmm. ovarian failure. So. What I want your readers to understand is that what is happening on at the deepest level when it comes to black women's fertility is this concept of weathering. That is chronic stress that is turned on constantly that is causing earlier mm. breakdown of our organs. That is what is at the root mm. of it all, right? And so the second piece to that is that infert mm. the term infertility itself, one, doesn't explain no. the root cause. Like the determined fertility doesn't tell you that that's what's going on. 
And also the term infertility unfairly labels women because the stats are showing that only 3% of the world's population is truly infertile, meaning they can't get pregnant no matter what. Only 3% of the world's population is truly infertile. So that means even if you've gotten the diagnosis of infertility, you're still more likely to be fertile mm. than infertile, right? So, so what we're really dealing with is, a cons- uh, is, is what I call subfertility. It's lower fertility due to an underlying, okay. underlying health so problem. Would that Does that be- make sense? Um, along the same lines as environmental factors, such as the metals that are in our water supplies and our food, the chemicals from um, the pesticides, uh, all those environmental things that we are experiencing that we didn't experience or our grandmothers and great-grandmothers didn't experience 50 or so years ago, maybe even 40 years ago. Um, but by that time, I think in the seventies, in the eighties, um, we were being exposed to a lot of these things through the cookware. I've read research about that and watched documentaries about the cookware and how the metals and such like that. So would that be along the same lines as that, the sub infertility that you speak of? Okay. Okay. Correct. That's exactly correct. So when, when I'm talking about like common root causes of mm-hmm. subfertility, not infertility. I also get into what fr- infertility actually means. So th- there are few. Mm-hmm. So there is the chronic stress. There is the environmental factors, the environmental mm-hmm. toxins that you're talking about. There is um, trauma, right? There's sure, nutritional sure. deficiencies, right? But but none of, of those in hormonal imbalances and gut dysfunction. But none of those things are separate. They're all related. It starts with the chronic stress picture because when you have ongoing stress, what it starts to do is it shuts down, it downregulates or shuts down your hormonal system, your detoxification system, your digestive system. So if your chronic stress is shutting down your detoxification systems, that means when you come across this toxic environment that we are now living in, as you pointed out, your body can't even clear that out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I, I get it. Because I remember reading about a lot of these things before getting my diagnosis and even after getting it and trying to optimize my health physically uh, to house this child. Because what good would it be if I go through IBF, if I'm not taking the necessary steps to make sure that I can at least carry the baby or um, for the embryo, not the embryo, but the egg to implant, the embryo to implant, all those things. Um, so I, I definitely get it in, um, it's, it's not woo woo <laughs> as it seems or like people make it out to be. No, okay. not at all. These things do yeah. play a pivotal part yeah. in our fertility. And a lot of people in the community, they do speak about it. They don't always like to, especially when they have conditions like PCOS and endometriosis, uh, which are also subsets of infertility, like you're speaking of when you think about it, because estrogen do- dominance, you know, um, and then PCOS being uh, genetically passed on. It's, it's so many layers to our health, our bodies, mm-hmm. and infertility or fertility issues as a, as a, as a general um, umbrella of things. There's a lot of different uh, factors that play into us not being able to get pregnant. Um, yeah. Get pregnant. It is, it is a lot of factors, but I like to, let me try to simplify it for everyone because 
Because when you say like PCOS, fibroids, endo, in the conventional world, those Mm -hmm. things are treated as separate. But in my world, they're not. They are, they come from the chronic stress. Mm -hmm. So you and I, we express our our symptoms differently. We express our imbalances differently, right? So you and I could be in the same exact environment, right? And then one of us could, one of us could have our fertility be affected by the environment and the next person not, right? That is, that is the individuality in, in genetic expression, right? And so the same way that that can happen, the same way that, you know, when I'm exposed to environmental toxins, the way that it affects my fertility could be via PCOS Mm -hmm. versus fibroids for another woman. Right. But it's coming from like the similar root. And so what I have found is because chronic stress is at the root of it, I've, I've come to sort of come up with a a new umbrella that I term reproductive metabolic Mm. dysfunction because, because, when it gets down to it, it comes down to what is happening at the the Mm -hmm. cellular level, right? And so chronic stress, the reason why I keep emphasizing it for Black women is not only is, so the environmental toxins that you talk about, it's like, that's what everyone is dealing with. White women, Asian women, Black women, everyone is dealing with that, right? But what separates us from, from, from the other groups is the racial stress. We have that on top of racial stress. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? And so I think that's that nuanced piece that keeps getting missed when it comes to the infertility conversation, um, when it comes to Black women. is like, we're nuanced. We need a different approach because we're Black. Literally, you look in the research, it'll tell you Black is a risk factor. Literally, yeah. For sure. It's literally a risk factor. Not because something is wrong with us inherently as, as black women, but because something is wrong with the society that we live in that treats us differently mm-hmm. because we are black. Absolutely. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. On the day to day, right? This is not something that we can just, I mean, I guess if you move to a different country, exactly. right? You can, you know, get away from it. But like, this is day to day and chronic stress is day to day. So there's normal stress that gets turned on and then it gets turned off. That's a normal stress response. It gets sure. turned on and it gets turned off. The chronic stress picture, yeah. it doesn't That's why it's called off. chronic, right? It yeah. stays, yeah. that's why it's tr- chronic. It doesn't turn off. And so when it doesn't turn off, guess what happens? It robs your fertility system of the resources and the nutrients that it needs mm-hmm. for good ovulation, for good egg quality, for a pregnancy that sticks, for a healthy baby, for a a healthy pregnancy, for a healthy postpartum, you see? And so it's like, we can't skip this racial Mm. chronic stress thing. No one is talking about it, but it is at the crux Mm. of Mm. everything. Mm. I understand. I'm on the same page. I understand exactly where you're coming from. And um, I do agree that when you're dealing with racism in any capacity, it affects every aspect of your life. It affects how you view yourself. It, is, it affects how you see yourself, how you present yourself. 
code switching, as we like to say in um, black and brown communities, code switching is a thing, you know, all those things that contribute to us being able to live as peacefully as we can in a society uh, that really wasn't created for us to live like we do, right? Here in the United States and in many other colonized countries and continents. And so that's very interesting. And although I've talked about racism in the fertility community before because I experienced medical racial biases a lot of times um, throughout my adult life. And then also specifically the first doctor that I ever went to who originally diagnosed me and we, I got through it and she wasn't disrespectful, but I could tell that the way that they, her and her staff approached me and how they approached everyone else was different. They would literally greet people differently. And so what that led to, what, what, that, what, what happened um, when, I, when I experienced uh, that racial bias in a fertility clinic, it, it scared me away from fertility doctors for four and a half years and getting more testing done. And so that goes right in along in alignment with what you're speaking of, because when we are going and seeking some help for our bodies, the, the very thing that gives us life besides our soul, right? And we're having this human experience. And when you're going to get help from someone and you can feel what's happening, it turns you off. And this is why in our community, we are sicker than everyone else because these things happen. We get turned off and we don't go back until it gets real bad. And so we have to have partial and full hysterectomies until we have to be cut open and pried open and all these other things. So, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> I have been there. Oh, my gosh. I'm... You know, as you were talking, I was I was thinking about one of the stats that I came across okay. when I was doing my research um, about fertility. And this was on the um, Fertility for Color Girls website. And it said that the number one um, barrier to uh, women, black women getting fertility treatment is... Yeah. Um, Silence, silence, you know, waiting way too long to get help. And so as you were talking, I was like, of course it would, it would, that would be the case if we are dealing with the medical system that treats us differently. Mm -hmm. Like, why mm -hmm. would you want to go back? Why would you, mm -hmm. you don't even feel safe. There's no safety. There's no trust. So why would you seek help in that system when that is seemingly your only option so you of course mm -hmm. you're going to suffer in silence not to mention the shame of the infertility diagnosis right like black women are supposed to be hyper fertile how dare Listen, you our infertile, grandmothers were right like having seven and plus babies easy into their 40s my great my grandmother on my paternal side she was born in 1915 and she had her last baby at 45 so you know what i mean so yeah and then that was the basis for the podcast and the platform is to end the silent suffering because after that experience, I didn't, I never went back to the doctor for four and a half more years. And it took me a very long time and a lot of inner work to go back and to 
see if anything changed because they were saying that I had a block for fallopian tube at the time, the first time and such. And so it was just all these different things and nuances, like you say, that Black women and other women of color also deal with because I've spoken to other women of color and they've had similar experiences. And I'm talking about even uh, what they would call the model minority being like our South Asian and Middle, Middle Eastern brothers and sisters. And they supposedly get treated better than we do. And they do it a lot of times, but for some reason in the medical system, they experience a lot of the same things that we do, um, but they're not dying as rapidly as black women do and or staying as sick as we do. Um, unfortunately, it seems that we are always, um, <laughs> we are the basis of a lot of medical, of medicine as, as we know it. But at the same time, nobody is doing anything to fix the, the issues. But we, we, we literally, our bodies were literally used as the basis for medicine in American society as we know it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. They practiced on us. Yeah, they practice the 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 um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> my mind is going blank. The little instrument they used to yeah. do pap smears. I should know no, this I'm a doctor right, but my mind yeah. is going blank. It's 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 they that was invented from from experimenting mm -hmm. on black women's bodies. The 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 guy mm -hmm. that they call father of medicine came up with all of those gynecological devices mm -hmm. from practicing on black women. And so there is real bias in the medical system that we have to deal with when we interface with them, right? There, there just is. There, mm -hmm. Those are just facts. And I would say it's like because that's a given, like I would admonish your listeners to not allow that to keep them from getting you the help that it. they deserve. Yeah. We deserve good care. We deserve high quality mm -hmm. care. Mm -hmm. We deserve it. We're entitled to it. You have to be able to, to push through. I won't even say, I'm not even going to say push through. Mm -hmm. Find somebody mm -hmm. else. You know what I'm saying? Like, find mm -hmm. somebody else who you mess with. You don't have to deal with doctors who treat you differently in this day and age you can easily report yeah. somebody like speak out mm -hmm. speak up don't be silent about it keep them accountable these physicians are so what's so special about hero bread soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas these ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar fewer calories and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health shop now at hero.co supposed to be the carriers of of knowledge the care the caregivers so if you don't feel like you're getting good care mm -hmm. go somewhere else mm -hmm. absolutely you don't have to deal with it speak up yeah. speak out say something you know what i'm saying the other piece too is I, as you were talking i was i can you speak more to like what the treatment so, yeah. was I'm, I'm sure you probably talked about it in your different in your other. Yeah, um, no, it's been a while episode. since I talked about it. Yeah, so it's, but I just oh, wanna, no, 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 no. It's been a while since sharing. I talked about it. It's probably been yeah, it's been a while. So what happened was I was 29, and it was about five or six months after I turned 29 in 2012. Um, my birthday's in October, so we would have been moving into. No, it wasn't even that long because it was it was still cold and I had on a coat or a jacket or something. So 
It was in 2012. Um, I was, it was early 2012, maybe close to spring. I had just turned 29 in October and I was living in Pennsylvania and the area where I lived, it was predominantly Caucasian. And as we know as well, that infertility, going to see fertility specialists has always been deemed like a Caucasian woman's issue or a rich woman's way of getting help. Like it wasn't for the masses, right? And so again, I was in a predominantly uh, town, mm-hmm. pre- predominantly Caucasian town at the time living and I was, I kept telling my husband, I said, I feel like something is wrong. I said, I don't feel like it's you. It could be a combination of the two of us, but that, that female in, inner knowing uh, and our connection to the divine is something different. I said, you know, something is not right. And I feel like it is me. I said, I've never been pregnant before in my entire life. Granted, I have been on birth control since I was about 19, 18 and a half, 19 on various types of, um, birth control, uh, pills, shots. I've done it all for birth control, except for the implanting. I never did that. And so I say, you know, it's been probably four years at this point that I had um, stopped using any form of birth control because right before I met him, I stopped using the shot. I was like, it's time to let that thing go. I'm just going to monitor my cycle and be more responsible um, health-wise. And I was reading a lot about naturopathy and just learning from my own self-knowledge how I could take care of myself better and, and chart my cycle, which I'd already done, and just learning about the inner workings of the menses and such. And so I said, I'll just keep track of it with my calendar. I'm good. And that's it. And so I got diagnosed at 29. And when I went to the clinic for the first time, and I was I was barely greeted by the receptionist. She looked at me like, what the hell is she doing here? Why are you here? And I guess they couldn't tell by my name. I was I was ethnic. I mean, Farouk, come on, it's that's clearly South Asian or Middle Eastern. And so um she didn't greet me well. I sat down, I was filling out my paperwork, and then another woman came in. It was a white woman, and she was greeted with smiles, with care, with concern, and all those things. Her husband came in shortly after her, same thing. They were greeted with smiles with con- concern, conversation, and all that, and I was not. And granted, this doesn't make a difference, and it shouldn't, but it wasn't like I went in there looking like I just came from the gym or some hobo or something like that. I I came dressed professionally. I looked like I could be there or had, you know, a little bit of money to spend. You know what I mean? And so I um, go back to the back. One of the nurses greets me. She's also surprised that it's a black woman in the office. Like, have y'all never seen black people before? Like, what is happening? You know, so it was that sort of a thing. The doctor was nice, but she, too, was a little taken aback about why I was here and it just I could just tell they didn't deal with a lot of black people in this particular clinic. And I chose this clinic for it being a small boutique clinic and not more of a a big company like your Shady Grove and such like that. I chose it on purpose because I felt like it would be a more personalized care experience and not just another number in the ticket. And so I went through the IUI process with her. She was nice, whatever. Her staff continued to be iffy, was hit and miss of how they greeted me and how I was treated or not talk to or talk to, you know, it was just, 
I finished my cycle. I did what I had to do. I came to get the diagnosis. I got the diagnosis. And that was the last time I went. I would, I, didn't ever, I did not go back to another fertility clinic until uh, the spring of 2016. And that was 2012. Yeah. Literally years went by. Yeah. So they did the they testing. Did the they did the, um, they gave the, you the diagnosis. The HSG test. I had a... Uh, supposedly had a right tubal blockage and um, there was no issues with my AMH and my egg quality or um, egg reserve. There was no issues there. And at the time, I hadn't been diagnosed with hypothyroid and hormonal issues. So it was just a block tube and they went with that. And because I didn't really care for how I was being handled, I didn't care to get any more testing because I probably could have helped my, th my thyroid issues then, but I didn't care to be cared for by them or anybody else for that matter, because doctors in America are predominantly white. You know, it's less than 2% of doctors in America that are black. Um, it may be a little bit higher now because a lot of students are going and um, getting degrees, black doctors and such like that, but it's still under 10, well under five, you know, percent of doctors in America. So that was that. And um, so that was my experience with, you know, microaggression, the microaggressive side of, um, biases and, and, and prejudices and, and some racism. So, and then when I, and then I would like pay yeah. for the IUI, like the first time I had to pay for any, for the testing, I think it was like, she wanted the money right away because I was a cash payer and, um, I didn't have uh, medical insurance that would cover IVF or any kind of fertility treatments at the time. So it's a cash payer. Like they were so pressed. Like, ma'am, you have my entire address and phone number. Like, it's not that serious. Bill me if you have to. But, you know, just small little things like that it, uh, happened um, over the course that. of the month that I worked with them and stuff. And I just, you when you know, you freaking know. Like, we don't go into you spaces know. all the time yeah. expecting these things. Although we subconsciously expect it, we don't. Like, I wasn't going in there expecting this. Like, I have something that's going on. I can't get freaking pregnant. I'm expecting a lot more empathy and care, right? Right. So that was that. So it's the medical bias is real. <laughs> it's it's real. There's a, a black woman, mm -hmm. Harvard researcher, I forget her name, but she actually wrote a book about this and, and has a lecture on YouTube where she breaks down mm -hmm. the bias, the real medical bias that's very real that we experience. It breaks mm -hmm. down the science of it and everything. And so it's never in our heads. Mm -hmm, it, mm -hmm, it's real, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's real. And it's up to doctors to um, own up to it and say, I'm going to do something about it. But unfortunately, you know, us doctors, we, we yeah. can be very egotistical. We are very, um, we're taught to be sort of arrogant mm -hmm. and egotistical. And that is the culture of mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. medicine, unfortunately. And so to, to, to have them have to admit that that is mm -hmm. there. And to have them admit whole, that, that it's a, it's a toxic. Whole... Like, come on. You know? Uh, there's And I think a lot of times, and I understand that that, that concept of teaching medical students uh, to be that way because they want you to be confident in your abilities to care for people. And they want you to be assertive and be able to... Um, not necessarily take control, but have control of the situation. So I get it. But I think that, again, like many things in life, it depends on the person that's being taught how it will be presented and how it will show up. And um, 
yeah, unfortunately, yeah. there's a whole lot of work to be done. Um, yeah. There's a there's a whole lot of work. While we cannot control outside factors, we can control us. And so that's what the work is focused on is like, what can we do to clap back? What can we do to, you know, um, own our fertility? And, and what can we do to improve our fertility? Because there is this idea that our fertility yeah. doesn't belong to us. Like it belongs to the gynecologist or somebody mm -hmm. else. Like it don't belong to us, right? And it starts from very early age. I mean, I remember when I got my period, you know, it was not like, a congratulatory mm -hmm. sort of experience. It was more uh -oh. like, yeah. uh oh, mm -hmm. oh no. You know, it was like a, oh no. And then it was like, if you get pregnant when you were teen, like, mm -hmm. it's going to be a lot of shame. You're going to bring a lot of shame to the family. Mm -hmm. So you bet not, right? Th that it, That's what it was. And then that was it. There was no conversation about like fertility preservation. Um, how to care for your fertility as you get older, the real effects of like birth control and how it can affect fertility down the road. There's no conversation about that. So the culture is broken and it has failed us as women, right? And so my work is about how do we reclaim our back. fertility and so that, yeah, bridge that gap back so that the next, so that we can pass that a new knowledge down the next generation so that they can, you know, own it. And so one thing that I wanted to talk about infertility, you know, one of the reasons why I reached out to you about having this conversation about infertility in me is because I feel like infertility and I have had a fight because, because I'm like that I have a real, I have real qualms mm -hmm. about just the term itself. Right. And so what I want your readers to understand is that infertility is really just a label. It's not a real diagnosis. Like if you, if you do uh, some research, you'll find that that infertility is just really a term that us medical professionals use to communicate to insurance companies that you haven't been able to get pregnant within sure. the six to 12 months of trying. Mm -hmm. That's all it means. It doesn't mean anything else. It doesn't, it's just a label. It's not a diagnosis, right? And so the reason why I think it's important to, to, for women to know that is because a lot of times when women come to me, they're like, they have this identity of like, I'm infertile and can't have babies. And it's like, you're not infertile. You're still having a period, right? You, you are still making eggs, maybe not regularly and maybe not good quality eggs, but she, she's still working for you. She's just not at the healthiest state, at the most optimal state, right? And so there are things that we can do to optimize your fertility. And so I find it to be a battle to get women to even believe that there are things that they can do to improve their fertility and to reverse some of the conditions that's getting in the way of their fertility. And so the infertility label really needs a revamp. Like it's just a label. It's not a diagnosis. I see what you mean. Yeah, I see what you mean. And you're right. A lot of people don't like to view it that way, especially when they're what I would call newer to the world of fertility. And maybe they have just recently got diagnosed because when I like I've, I've had the podcast, it'll be four years in November. And a lot of the women that I were connect that I was connected to in the very beginning and them now, some have moved on and had children and some haven't. 
And over the years, I've seen them kind of expand their thinking as they become more educated about fertility issues and are more open to the conversation as opposed to someone who's been more recently diagnosed and or has a more definitive diagnosis of your uh, conditions that we spoke of earlier, endometriosis, fibroids, uh, low MH, all those things that are that have been more narrowed down through testing, blood work, and all kinds of uh, different approaches to get to the bottom of things. And so mm. I think that it's important for us to remember that two things can be true at once. And so while we have gotten the blanketed diagnosis of infertility and we may want to work with a fertility specialist, we can also work with someone like you who is a, doc- a doctor of wholeness and wellness from a natural uh, perspective and education is very important for that too as well, because there's no point in going through fertility treatments if you choose to go that route, if your body is not, or your reproductive, well, no, the body as a whole needs to be uh, an optimal environment for women to bring life into this world and to do so healthily. Because when you go through fertility treatments, your baby's more at risk for being born prematurely. Um, I have I have a creamy son. He was born at 24 weeks, four days. So I know what I'm talking about. And y'all know the research is there. Y'all read about it. So, you know, there's all these risk factors that come along with mm-hmm. fertility treatments as well, which is why I think these two um, need to be more intertwined together. And the conventional side of fertility health and functional health uh, can really work to your benefit to yeah. work together. Facts, facts. And the, and I'm so glad you said that because, you know, I call myself yeah, the I middle your fertility website, yeah. doctor, right? Because, because yeah, the middle fertility doctor, because it's kind of like the, you go to a gynecologist, right? You're like, I've been trying, I've been trying. I, I need to see a doctor. Usually it's a gynecologist or a primary care doctor. If you go to a primary care, mm-hmm. they don't send you to a gynecologist, right? Gynecologist is going to send you to the IVF doc. But I'm like, before you send her... <laughs> To the IVF doctors, mm-hmm. send her to me because it's a health thing. It's not like a fertility okay. thing. You see what I'm saying? Like, I think the fertility thing gets gets like it's it's just like infertility. We use it for everything, um, and it's not more directly focused yeah. on again the root cause or the real root issue of what's happening in the body. Yeah. Correct. It clouds everything. It clouds everything. I was just listening to a um, one of the top fertil- functional fertility docs. Her name is Dr. Jacqueline Chancey. She taught mm-hmm. me in medical in medical school. She said that um, the, what they are seeing now, infertility is is really a, the first mm-hmm. sign of chronic disease. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like if someone is having trouble conceiving it's really a first sign of chronic disease. And so we really need to figure out like how to address the root cause of that chronic disease. It's and not be so quick to label that person as infertile and then move them on to IVF treatment because then you're missing the, the chronic disease that's at the bottom of it. Right. And for black women, that's typically the case. There's a whole host of chronic disease that's playing into it. That is, reflecting infertility but it's not am I, I hope i'm making sense like for instance like there's a lot of diabetes and high blood pressure in in our in our culture in our community right the way that diabetes 
ref- can can look like infertility is that it stops ovulation from happening. Because if you're if you're having blood sugar dysregulation, it's going to mess with ovulation. Yeah. yeah. See what I'm saying? If you have high blood pressure, it means you're not getting enough circulation to the ovaries for it to perform mm-hmm. at its mm-hmm. highest. You see what I'm saying? It's like, let's deal with that first before we even push her to IVF. She don't want to go to that mm-hmm. clinic. And then she I think it's important go. to, with your line of work and other <laughs> naturopathic specialists uh, is specializing in fertility. I think it's also important to maybe to to definitely um, see about working with a specialist like yourself before and or during the process of working with a, a, a RE because like you said, there may be things that you test for that didn't show up with your RE or because I've seen it True. and I've experienced it and my diagnosis of having the right to mm. blockage when I went back four years later, it was gone. So when I was going to when I was going to specialists to help with the natural side of things, and what the radiologist ended up telling me and he confirmed for me was that there may have been some residual uh, endometrial lining or mucus that got stuck in your tubes, and because they are so small that it had been there a while, and then whatever you have done to um, optimize your health has gotten rid of it. And so when I went back four years later, the blockage was gone, but then I was having issues with hormones, which kind of runs on my mom's side of the family anyway. And so, yeah, you know, duality is a thing, y'all. You know, (laughs) two things can be true at the same time. And I think that this is is so important also in relation to what you were just speaking of, Dr. Duga, because fertility treatment is expensive. As y'all know, y'all know because y'all oh, here. Yeah. <laughs> Fertility treatment is expensive, and although uh, any form of medicine can be expensive, if you are looking to find ways to optimize your fertility and give you a better chance uh, at at creating this new life, this may be somewhere you can start before going back to the RE and. Looking at, again, as uh, Dr. Duga has explained to us, the entirety of our body and its systems and if they're functioning properly, first of all, and if there's anything that we can do before spending 50 grand, okay, on one chance or two chances, I think this, the functional approach is really, really, really important as well. Really important. Yeah, it'll save you a whole lot of money, a whole lot of heartache and improve your health in ways that IVF doesn't. And I'm not I'm not against IVF. I'm for integration. I'm for women having all the options. And the reason why I speak up is because I know a lot of women are saying I want other options. Right. And it's like I'm another option. And the way that I fit into that is is I help you get healthy. I help you in that preconception period. I help your ovaries wake up. I, I help your blood sugars regulate. I hope I help you get out of that chronic stress um, picture so that things can function as best as it yeah, can yeah. at your age, right? And so 
I would say there was something that you said that I wanted to piggyback on is um, mm-hmm. the expense of IVF treatment. Doctor, I don't know if this is how you pronounce her name. She's the black female Ari on yeah, Instagram. That's how you spell. Yeah, she was on the show uh, a year ago. Yeah, Matrika. Mm-hmm. Is that that's correct? Yep. Okay. Dr. Matrika, she posted something about, you know, FSH levels, you know, getting into the nitty gritty of like hormone levels. She talked about like, if your FSH levels are, Mm -hmm. are like 30, then there's, there's not medication that she can give you to make the Mm. procedure work for you. Right. And when she said that it was like clear as day and it was like, exactly like, this is why I preach the owning your fertility because what she's essentially is saying is like you as a woman have a responsibility to do the things that you need to do to improve your health so that when you do go to IVF, it, yeah. it works better for you. Your, your chances of success are higher. Like you can't go in with this idea of like the, the, the procedures and medications is a magic pill because it's expensive and it's high mm-hmm. end. No, that is not the magic. You, the woman, mm-hmm. you are the magic. Yeah. You're mm-hmm. the one making the egg. Yeah. And for then them exactly. to use. You be nurturing the life in your womb. You, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. You're the magic. So this idea that because it's expensive, because it's IVF, that it's, that it's going to work. No, you're going to make it work. It's up to you to make it work. It's up to you to do the work to make it work. So... So, yeah, I totally agree with, with everything that you're saying. And for yourself, um, I know you had mentioned earlier in the episode that dealing with your own um, em- emotional outlook and as a woman, um, because you don't have any children, right? I gathered you didn't. Yeah. So you were saying earlier, even yourself getting Not older yet. and um, helping women who are a similar age group or the ones who are come after and so how has that affected you in your practice and care of clients and also aging and getting older and society telling us that, you know, we're done. <laughs> Ovaries is, is just dust now, right? So <laughs> that's what they tell us. <laughs> we just dust. Nothing works anymore. <laughs> just, <laughs> yes. If I had to polish it, I would blew it out. Because that, that's, that's basically what the medical uh, field traditional medicine and society as a whole and patriarchy and uh, misogyny and all that uh, tells us that we are just dust. We just here to exist after the age of 35 and we get to 40. Don't God forbid you make it to 40. Like, come on. Girl, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a proud geriatric mama, right? Like we geriat, I'm geriatric at this point. Right. So, so, what was the specific question? What do you what do you want to, do you um, want I'm to sorry. specifically answer? How do you, uh, in your own personal life, overcome the emotions of aging and wanting to be a mom? Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I that's such a great question because because even though like I know all of these things, I have all the tools, I have all the knowledge, it's still something that I think about, right? Because Mm-hmm. It's very real, right? The way that I deal with it is I do my best to take care of myself. I like 
before fertility, like I was the woman who would run her body to the ground working just lack of, you know, I'm, I'm used to the lack of sleep from being in medical school, going through school and lack of sleep, not, you know, skipping meals, um, not working out, you know, those things used to be like optional. They're, those are non-negotiables for me now because the research is so clear that those are the things that we older women need to do in order to preserve our fertility as we get older. And not, and to me, it goes beyond being able to get pregnant. I think about the health of my children and the health of my grandchildren, because with mm-hmm. the science of epigenetics, yeah. I don't know if you talked about this in your, on your show, but epigenetics is like the new school of thought. So, you know, when we were growing up, we were mm-hmm. thought that genes determine everything and mm-hmm. that's it. There's nothing you can do about it. So when you hear the whole like 35 is a is the is the cutoff age like there's nothing you could do to improve your health as you get to improve mm-hmm. your fertility as you get older that's debunked like that's old fable at this point because the new research is showing that genes don't determine everything environment determines things so I do everything that I can do in my environment to make sure that the mm-hmm. expression of my fertility it's at its highest potential and it's going to take me mm-hmm. well into mm-hmm. my fifties. That's what, that's how I think about it. It's like, I have the power to control how fast my biological clock is moving. If it's moving really fast, I know what to do to slow it down and to elongate it because fertility is not this binary fix. You're either fertile or infertile, hyperfertile or subfertile. It's something that mm-hmm. is very flexible and it could be changed and shaped and modified and you modify mm-hmm. it through your lifestyle, right? So in my clinic, I call it the 4M framework. You modify it through mindset, movement, meals, okay. and metabolics. Mindset is the, the mindset that we need to have is that our bodies as, as women is more stress sensitive than men's bodies. Why? Because mm-hmm. we are the reproductive ginger. We carry the babies. And so our body needs to be super clear about whether it's safe to have a baby or not. And so we're going to respond to stress um, differently than our male counterparts. That's that's the first mindset you need to have. So you can't be out here, uh, you know, moving through the world like you're not a mm-hmm. woman. You are a woman, a female body. Your system is more sensitive to stress. So if it if it feels like it's under too much stress, it's going to shut mm-hmm. down the baby making department. Okay. So stress, so, so relaxation is, is key. Stress management is key. Two is movement. Walking is actually um, better at reducing stress and better mm-hmm. at boosting fertility than exercise. Because the way that we do exercise, it actually stresses our fertility system. Why? Because we've been taught to exercise like men. We live in a patriarchal society. We have to keep coming back to that. Nothing is At created all. for your female body. Everything is created for and the they male us body. Males and a lot of the things that we do when we weren't set up to be that way um, by Mother Nature. We are divinely connected exactly. to Mother Nature in a way that men are not. So, Exactly. Exactly. So the mindset is like, oh, being a woman means my body is more stress sensitive. I need to stop mm-hmm. acting like mm-hmm. I'm not a woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And then, so movement and then meals to... Um, you know, incorporating meals that help your your detoxification system because we're surrounded with toxins. Um, 
meals that don't further stress your fertility, that don't add inflammation to your fertility. So when you talked about the block tubes and then like it going away, I thought about that probably was a lot of inflammation mm-hmm. and whatever you did decreased the inflammation yeah. and opened up that tube, right? That's very powerful. Like mm-hmm. I wanted to actually more about that, but I know we ain't got no time. And then the next one is metabolics is like, those are your supplements, your botanicals, all of those things. But, but you, the stuff before that, has to happen in order for your botanicals and your supplements to work the way that they need to. What I notice is that people, yeah, right, right. Exactly. A lot of people jump to the the teas and the supplements without doing the other stuff Mm -hmm. that I just told you about. And they're like, Oh, it's not working. It's not working. It's not working because you didn't do the other lifestyle stuff. Right. So what I want your, your listeners to walk away with fertility treatment is not just about the procedural drug stuff. Fertility treatment um, is supported by a fertility focused mm. lifestyle. That is what's going to increase your chances of getting pregnant. There's no substitution. There's no way out of it. I'm sorry, Mother Nature made it that way. You got to mm. do the work. Yeah. And I think that that ties into, again, a lot of the conditions that um, our friends listening or watching today are already dealing with. We're dealing with not only fertility issues, but Another root cause of that is mental health. Like you stated, when you focus on the mindset in your program, people have diagnoses and are on medications prior to even getting uh, connected with an RE. And I just talked about this on my last solo episode about how, you know, everything that we're doing in life is not setting us up for, uh, for, for successful cycles or whatever the case may be, because we're working like crazy out here being worker bees, right? Chasing the patriarchal dollar. Then we are exercising too much a lot of times when we're trying to conceive. I had to learn it the hard way. And then, like you said, <laughs> we are not detoxing our mind, body, and spirit. All of that stuff works together, y'all. All of it works together. Trauma. I mean, it I does. went to see a Reiki specialist. During that four-year period, I did it all. There's nothing I didn't do. I did it all because Aww. all of it matters. Because yep. what happens when you do get the baby? You have a life that you have to get, take care of. You have a life that you have to impart wisdom and all those other things into. So I can go on a tangent, but your third, your third M, Girl, we got, we got, our, we got our, our mindset. Of course, we know that is a very important mindset. So a lot of you guys are already working with mental health specialists, which is fantastic. Then you said meals. Uh, for optimizing detoxification naturally to optimize our body, right? And then what was your third head? Um, so the so the mindset is at the is at mm-hmm. the base, then it's movement okay. is right above the mindset. Um, and then the meals and then the metabolics, which is like the botanicals, the herbs, and the exercise, right? There's it's not that exercise is bad, it's just how we're exercising and over exercising is is really counterproductive to fertility. So I teach women how to incorporate exercises that actually boost fertility. So a lot of that is it low impact. I I remember doing a lot of low impact exercising. Or is Mm, it retraining? Actually, 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 it's more like a think high intensity interval training, Mm -hmm. but but shorter, like within 15 minutes. But the focus is is not to just get breathless, but to actually burn. You want to feel the burn because... What the research is showing is that when you are exercising and you do a workout that is you you feel the burn, 
it increases mm -hmm. HGH, mm -hmm. human growth hormone. And human growth hormone is what you want in order to have your ovaries mm -hmm. make good quality eggs, right? I'm, you know this from pro probably going through the whole, you know, journey, like HGH and all of the hormones. So your body naturally makes HGH. And so I focus on exercise routines that help women make Gotcha. more HGH naturally in the gotcha. first half of okay, their cycle. So you align yeah. everything with the menses then too as well um, as part of treatment, which is really important. Yeah. That makes total sense. Oh yeah, that is the piece. That is the piece that I haven't got into yet. So, you know, make when a fertility focused lifestyle is also really knowing where you are in your cycle and adjusting your, your meals, your exercises to the different phases of your cycle, because that is what's really going to optimize everything. Like that's, mm, that's, mm -hmm. that requires a whole nother episode, but that is to me, what I'm noticing is like mm. the magic, like, I've, when I, when I first learned this and I started incorporating it in my lifestyle, like mm -hmm. doing the cycle syncing game changer, my menstrual cycle looked beautiful. Like ovulation was beautiful. Cervical mucus was beautiful. The luteal phase was beautiful. I was like all in one cycle. And this is a thing. It doesn't take very long. Once you know what your body needs and you do it and you commit to it, it doesn't take very long for your fertility to restore itself. It's just that we have to get out, get out mm -hmm. of our own way and actually do it mm -hmm. and actually listen mm -hmm. to our bodies. Yeah, I love that. Dr. Dr. Duguid, what would be a word you would give to us today to uh, help encourage us as we move forward in whatever path we decide to take to family build? Just a like phrase, one word a or like... a, I mean, a word as in um, a word oh. of encouragement. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Like a word. <laughs> I know. I was like, wait, there's, there's two ways I could look at this. You know, yeah, I'm like, sorry. Yay. Yeah, I forgot. Yes. Oh um, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> um, it is not your fault. It's not your fault. Society, culture is broken, has not served us. And what you're dealing with is a, a mismatch between reproductive biology and modern lifestyle. They just don't go together. So that is what's happening. So it's not your fault. You are not broken. Love that. I think I needed that reminded my dad myself. Okay, listen, because this, this patriarchal world we live in will have you thinking that you are crazy. I feel like, especially for us women, um, again, because it wasn't created mm -hmm. for us to move in our power but that's a whole other time it wasn't for a different show okay that's <laughs> oh my gosh this is such a good conversation I, the alignment we share yes, a lot of values and so i i really appreciate your perspective like the deeper spirituality piece um which is where my passion mm -hmm. lies i know we didn't talk a lot about that um but the spirituality piece is huge. And, and when I hear you speak, I'm like, she gets it. She gets it. We're not talking about it fully, but she gets it. And I'm well, so I'm just happy so glad that, that we were able it, to have this you know? conversation today. And I think that moving forward, it will be extremely helpful and valuable because we are looking for alternative ways to get back to who we are. And 
and, mm. and, and I love my specialists that I have worked with in the mm. past to have my, my, my sunshine, but you know, again, duality is a thing y'all. And we can go to these clinics and we can get on that IVF train, but having a full spectrum of what health is and what I'm gathering from Dr. Duke today is having the full spectrum, having the full picture of it all. And then that way you can make it more educated, logical, and not so emotional decision for your path to be a family building. Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> you be hitting the points. You know, you be hitting the points. Because right before I got in this call, I, I was thinking like of things and I said, we are making emotional decisions on a journey that requires us to, to make more rational decisions, right? And I feel like that's the missing piece. You know, a lot of women are like, it'll, it's just not God's timing. Or, you know, they, they're stuck in shame. Guilt. A lot of yeah. it is like emotion is like, the shame, guilt, fear. And it's like, but let's mm -hmm. focus on the data. Let's focus on the strategies that have been shown to help a woman like you. Let's focus on that and move towards a, a, a different uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. feeling mm -hmm. towards it, you know? So thank you for saying that. Another word, I know we're wrapping this up that came up is I actually believe that the when women enter mm -hmm. that that the fertility journey where it's like difficult for them to get pregnant i think it's necessary i think it's a necessary journey because what i'm finding is the journey comes to teach you that there are certain beliefs and biases mm -hmm. and behaviors that you need to let go of as you're entering while you're trying to enter motherhood the second piece i'm noticing is that the journey is is coming to teach you that you need to learn more about who you are as a woman. And you need to learn more about your female body. How long has it been? The fact that we don't know how our menstrual cycles work. And the fact that we no longer celebrate in the long, the, the fact that we no longer celebrate the rite of passage of uh, acquiring and gaining our menses as adolescents. And that's what I mean by getting back to who we are, because that used to be a rite of passage for young girls. There would be ceremonies, just like there are for exactly. boys, when they come of age, rite of passage, or they um, are, have been left intact, and there's rituals for circumcision ceremony. Like all, like there used to be things like that for women, and as a society, we definitely have to educate ourselves, educate the men too, because there's a whole lot of men who know but don't know, and unfortunately, doctors don't help because they look at it, at it from a different perspective and not for the beauty that it is. And so um, if, you, if you're listening and you've been feeling a lot of shame around your menses and you don't understand it or you, you had bad experiences in the past and your parents were the kind that didn't talk about these things, um, glad you're here because today we're gonna end that and, and, and we have to definitely let go of the shame of being women. Like we bring life into yeah. the world. We are, they yeah. call us womb man for a reason, we bring life to the world. for a reason, okay? Yes, yes, yeah. This journey mm -hmm. is here to, to change us and to transform us so that we can step into motherhood You're gonna and need our full it. power. And so that's what <laughs> I'll You're gonna need it when you I'll have these babies, okay? You're gonna need it because <laughs> you won't just have yourself to take care <laughs> You're of. You're gonna need it. Uh, you'll be responsible for another soul exactly. on this side. So uh, however that happens exactly. for you. 
and um, Dr. Digger, where can we find you online and also your, your website as well? Yes. So um, you can find me at shedoesmedicine.com. Um, if you want to just learn more, dive more into my work um, while also gaining more clarity about your own fertility and what makes it um, unique and how to personalize your fertility game plan, you can go to shedoesmedicine.com forward slash quiz. Take the, take the fertility body type quiz, which is a tool that I created to help women gain clarity on the fertility journey, because that's that's the first step to, to winning this game, winning this journey is to gain clarity of where your hormones are, what's actually happening, what's at the root, and then develop a plan from there. So go to shedoesmedicine.com forward slash quiz. Um, if you're like, nah, I don't want to do the quiz. I just want to learn, just want to talk directly with you. Then you can email me at dr.k.duga at shedoesmedicine.com. And information will be in the show details. So you can tap and go and connect with her directly from this episode, whether you're watching on YouTube and or listening on or your favorite audio platform. Uh, again, this was such a pleasure, Dr. Duke, and I'm so glad we had the opportunity to connect in this way. And my son is calling me, so I got to go, y'all, okay? It is time. It's I got time. to get back to my mother. <laughs> we appreciate you for tuning in to another episode of Infertility podcast you guys know where to find me on the gram infertility and me podcast on youtube at infertility and me podcast i appreciate you guys peace and blessings bet mgm has an unreal deal for sports fans in virginia turn five dollars into 150 dollars instantly when you place your first wager at bet mgm simply download the bet mgm app and sign up using code champion 150 then Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.